Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. Being, his inner self, he describes himself as gentle and lowly in heart, and he wants to come to you, and he wants you to come to him and find rest. And that should be encouraging. That should be good news. And he is an advocate for us. He is so for us. He is not against us. And if you're a Christian, not a Christian this morning, I hope it's helpful to you to know that the God-man, the central figure, if you like, in human history, whether, whether you follow him or not, the way he describes himself in his deepest self means that, well, he wants to make himself available to you. And actually... He wants to come to you that you might find rest, that the burdens you're carrying, that the pressures and the toil that you face, you won't face it alone. So this morning, we're going to look at some verses, not the easiest verses in the world, maybe a challenge for some of us. But perhaps you've heard this question, or at least a question phrase like this. Some of us might say, well, I can accept that Jesus is gentle and lowly, but what about the God of the Old Testament? I like that Jesus is gentle and lowly. I can get that. But what about the God of the Old Testament? He's not gentle and lowly. Maybe more like fearsome and scary. And perhaps, in fact, for many of us, we might know that that's somehow wrong, or at least theoretically, but we do have this separation in our heads, a distance between who the Old Testament God is and the New Testament God, which is like, oh, you know? And it's actually an idea, actually, it's a heresy known as Marcionism, and Marcionism was an early dualistic Christian belief, and there was... Well, Martin preached that actually the God of the gospel who sent Jesus into the world as a saviour was the true supreme being and he was different or opposed to the God of the creator God, the Hebrew God of the Old Testament. And this was denounced no, 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 to be by the Tertullian and other church fathers, early church fathers. But at the heart of our faith, the Christian faith, there is an idea that Jesus is God revealed in man and that the God we witness in Jesus is the same. It's the same one as in the Old Testament. And I think we maybe know that somehow in here, but actually in here, and emotionally, maybe in here, we might connect quite differently with the two. In fact, it can be quite a stumbling block to think of them in those ways. Interestingly, although pictures and statues of God don't go particularly well down in the Scriptures, we do have them, and we might see paintings and images and statues of Jesus, and it's like, oh, this tender, this, this, this gentle person. And yet we might see God painted, and it's imagined in that, oh, kind of way. Whoa, doom, fear. And I think actually that can go quite deep into us. And as we read some of the Old Testament narratives and writings, somehow we can get this kind of disconnect. 
Now, I'm sure most of us know that Jesus in the New Testament at times does get angry. And he rebukes. And he challenges. And he condemns certain types of behavior. And we also know, perhaps, that the God of the Old Testament defines his nature in Exodus 34, 6 as merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And we probably know those things. But do we believe them? Really? So today I want to try and show you in a few words that the God of the Old Testament, in his deepest self, is not different to Jesus, but in fact just the same. So this morning we're going to turn to an interesting book, one that maybe you've not read or enjoyed reading even, Lamentations 3. So if you have a Bible or a device this morning, I invite you to turn there. Lamentations, the saddest, bleakest book, you could say, in the entire Bible. And this morning we're going to look at maybe the bleakest chapter in the bleakest book. And it's about the saddest event, actually, in the whole of Scripture. So you're excited, I'm sure, <laughs> to be reading this this morning. Well, actually, what we're going to do is we're going to listen to this being read, because I can't do it like this guy does it. And we're going to follow these words for a few moments now. Lamentations chapter 3. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so that I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord for ever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. To crush underfoot all prisoners in the land. To deny people their rights before the Most High. To deprive them of justice. Would not the Lord see such things? Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Why should the living complain when punished for their sins? Wow. The book of Lamentations is undoubtedly the saddest book in the whole Bible. It's a meditation on the Babylonian exile of Judah. The low point, if you like, of the whole biblical story is the deportation of Israel to Babylon, the destruction of the temple. And if you were with us earlier in this year, you'll be familiar with some of that story. And it's an absolute disaster, a theological disaster for Israel, not just physical or architectural, because for the people of Judah, the presence of God now is gone. The presence of God resided in the building, the temple, and that's been destroyed. And it's not just this invasion from Babylon, it's the judgment of God. And that's partly what makes it such a source of grief for these people. So Lamentations is full of this gut-wrenching emotion, agony and lament. And it's full of distraught language, sorrow, grieving, longing. You notice nothing is soft-pedaled here. It's real and it's bitter. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He drove into my kidneys. He made my teeth grind on gravel. I've forgotten what happiness is, the writer says. It's not just that these bad things have happened, but it's that God has brought them. It's his punishment on them as a people. He's brought the affliction. And you can't read this and dismiss this as just the work of the devil. It's not what the writer is describing at all. Lamentations makes it very clear. This is God's judgment. God's judgment on Israel. I am the man who has seen his affliction. It says he's broken my bones. He has walled me in. He has filled me with bitterness. These are strong words. Language to communicate the disaster, which is the work of God in this moment. And I think as Christians, we can be, well, quite troubled by the idea. 
And understandably, in many ways, it's upsetting to think that God might ever bring hardship into our lives for our ultimate benefit. This is a difficult thing to understand, accept, and sometimes Christians respond really strongly to it because it's tough and we don't like it and it's kind of shocking. And yet, this book and others in Scripture make it clear Read verse 37, 38. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass? When the Lord has not commanded it, it's not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being will proceed. It's very clear. In fact, the first 16 verses, 15, state implicitly that it's God who has sent this suffering to Israel. And I'd go as far as to say probably that as a text, it's without comparing Scripture in many ways, to raise in the question, well, against the question, I guess, in one sense, God is the one who brings affliction. But even here, in the midst of this, there's something about God's heart that the, high, the writer highlights in a, quite an interesting way to us that helps us show us that, yes, while God is a righteous judge, and yes, he does bring affliction, he is, in fact, just like Jesus at his core. And that these things don't come from his heart. So let's take a look. Lamentations, if you like, as well as being maybe the most miserable book in one sense, could also be described as maybe the most carefully structured book in the whole of Scripture. It's poetically beautifully structured. And it's quite important to get this because I think it helps us with what it's saying and why the bit that it's saying in the mid- is so significant. So bear with, and we're going to work with this for a second. So Lamentations is symmetrical as a book. It's a five-chapter poem, and it's symmetrical as a book. And four of the five chapters are what they call acrostic poems, i.e., A to Z, we would say. They only have 22 letters in Hebrew. So chapter 1, 22 verses. Alphet, Bet, Gimel. Chapter 2, 22 verses. Again, chapter 3 in the middle, there are 66 verses. And then it goes 22 and 22. So you can see the symmetry of the verses there. And then in the chapter in the middle, each of the acrostic elements are repeated three times. A-A-A, B-B-B, G-G-G, D-D-D. And you can see it's very carefully structured. And the whole book is tended to draw your attention, if you like, to the middle and the middle chapter. And in the heart of the long chapter, chapter 3, the centre of the book, the summit of the book, if you like, the whole structure that leads your eye to this bit is the bit where the hope comes from. 21, 22, but I call this to mind. Yeah, I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope because of the God's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail, they are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. I will say, The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. I mention all that structure because 
the way the book works is to express, if you like, lament, lament, heart of God, lament, lament. In other words, it's telling us this terrible tragedy, this desperate plight. And actually, just this morning, as I was watching the news, just reading some news early this morning, there was so many hard things that you want to struggle how to pray, what's going on in the world. It kind of evokes some of the responses we see in here. But the book of Lamentations is trying to build a picture of the fact that the very centre of things, there is hope. And that hope is that ultimately God's heart is towards you. It's not to do those things. But rather to bless you. Even when you have many painful and just questions about exactly what's going on. And exactly in the middle of the book, chapter 3, verse 33, right at the heart of the book, and this has not come some kind of weird Da Vinci code, by the way. If you were Hebrew and you were reading this stuff, you, this would all make sense. This would be, you would understand exactly why this is written like this. The heart, right in the center, we find verses 31 and 33 says, For the Lord will never cast off. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. And the very middle of this book makes this statement, he does not afflict you from his heart. There's devastation, there is judgment on Indra's sin. And if you know your Old Testament, this has been coming for hundreds of years. Israel's idolatry has been generational. And God sits down and says, enough is enough. We're done. You're going into exile. It's the only way to fix this. It's the only way for you to see the scope of what you did. But, but my affliction, my people, my affliction on you is not from my heart. My heart towards you is filled with abundance of mercy and compassion and faithfulness. But we're doing this because I need to get you somewhere else. And Lamentations is a book about the worst thing that's ever happened in the Bible. It's full of anguish and lament and it's filled with sadness and pain. And yet right in the center of it, right in the heart of it, if you like, right in the heart, we get this revelation from God that it's not from his heart that this comes. And what he feels for Israel, indeed what he feels for you, is deep compassion and mercy. Affection. And overwhelming love. See, I can be guaranteed, and I would be bold to say you can be guaranteed, that my life will not be free from sorrow and pain and grief. But what I can guarantee ultimately is this, the heart of God, the heart of God, if he is bringing those things, is not motivated by anger or anything other than love. Now I might not be able to make sense of that, and often I can't. And Israel couldn't in this situation. 
And it might sound odd. How can you say, how on earth can that be? How can you afflict somebody out of love for them? How can you do that? Well, I was thinking about this. And this is a story which gives a kind of measure, maybe some measure of answer. But I think as a parent at times, and I look back at my parenting at times, and um, we've got three children, and the middle son has been more than the challenge on one occasion. And he, he's got injured and various other things a number of times. He's been ill, he's been assaulted, he's been damaged in all sorts of ways. And I can think, as a parent, we've been in situations where we've been in a hospital scenario. And I remember one particular one, he snapped his ankle, and the ankle was turned around the wrong way. And he was looking at me and saying, Dad, is it going to be okay? I'm looking at him going, I don't know. And the doctors are looking at themselves thinking, oh dear, I don't know what to do about this. And then they say, right, we're going to get a couple more doctors and a couple more doctors and a couple of extra nurses and they're going to hold him down and they're going to turn it round again. And he looks at me and says, is that going to hurt? And I'm saying, yes, son, this is going to really hurt. And there's this look. I guess he's looking at me for reassurance. That's going to be okay. You're not going to hurt me, Dad, are you? If you say it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine. And then they start to do it, and there's this pain. And he looks at me as if to say, who are you? I thought you were my dad. You know? There are times, aren't there, as parents, where we know that it's going to be a painful thing, but we've got to go through to the other side. Now, that doesn't cover everything. But when you're looking at your child and they're looking at you and it's really hurting them, and they look as if you just say, why are you letting this happen? And you know if we don't do this, it's going to get much worse. And yet, and I've sobbed afterwards because it was being harrowing. And I felt anguish, but I knew it was for his good. It had to be. But I felt this terrible conflict internally that I should not allow this to happen. And then I remember that he was sliding down the stairs and it was his own fault really in the first place. But anyway, that's another story. And Sam is well now. And there are no scars between him and I over this. And that's important. Because he's seen the other side. But for a while I felt I was inflicting him. But it wasn't the desire from my heart. And I think it's exactly the same with God. God's like me in that sense. He doesn't afflict us from it. It's not from his heart. Sometimes, as my old friend Frank used to say, sometimes what comes out of his hand is grief. But from his heart, there is always grace. 
always grace. That's the heart of God for his people. And that's the heart of God for you. Now, this doesn't mean you will always know while particular trials and challenges are there. Israel didn't. Job didn't. The psalmist didn't. I have no idea why God is allowing my Sam to experience some of the things he has. I have no idea why God has allowed me to experience some of the things I have. And you, some of the things you have. Because I know you share them with me sometimes. And I know many of you are facing serious trials, more serious than anything I've mentioned this morning. And you might be looking at situations and thinking, what is God doing in this trial? And the answer is probably, I don't know. But what I do know, what I do know, you don't need to doubt the heart of God in it. You can be sure of that. You don't know how this connects with this. And it might seem impossible to connect it. But one thing you can't conclude is that the God who inspired lamentations and the God who in person went to the cross doesn't care about your life. And you, can't, you can be sure that's not the reason. Though he causes grief, he shows compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. This is what Paul says so clearly when he writes to the church in Corinth. For this momentary affliction, and he's seen a big picture, is preparing for us a weight, a weight of glory beyond all comparison. And that is the hope that he has in those moments. One day I'll know, but I won't at the moment. But what I do know is that God loves me. I want to finish this morning by reading a poem. It's a words of a Christian poet who said this more clearly perhaps than most Christian poets. He suffered with deep depression, suicidal thoughts, and he probably journeyed through lots of things that maybe some of you are journeying through. His name is William Cooper, and he wrote a collection of hymns with John Newton. Uh, amazing Grace is one of those amazing hymns that he wrote with others. And he wrote these words. And Tom, if I could have you up, mate, that would be great. And it was in the midst of his darkest moments, he wrote, God moves. God moves in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and he rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints. Take courage. The clouds you dread are big with mercy. And will break in blessings on your head. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower.
writer to Lamentations. He says this. The Lord, he will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love because he doesn't afflict from his heart. Let's pray together. Father, Father, I ask for my brothers and sisters here who are suffering, struggling, afflicted, and asking deep, important questions. I would ask that you would bring revelation of the heart of God in Christ, the heart of God in the book of Lamentations, the heart of God in the book of the Gospels. Father, would you bring it as balm for our souls? That by your Spirit, you might enable us to trust your heart, Lord, even when we don't know what your hand is doing at this moment. And in this moment, Father, I pray that you would unite us together as a community. Again, to throw ourselves on the beauty of the steadfast love of God, whose mercies never, never cease. That we might be all love and all mercy and grace for one another as we face the trials of life. Father, that in the midst of questions, many, many questions, Lord, may we be assured in the knowledge, assured in the knowledge that God, your heart is towards us and for us, and that your mercies are new every morning. Come, Holy Spirit, and minister again to us, we ask, in these moments. I'm just going to wait on the Lord for a few moments. in mysterious ways his wonders to perform he plants his footstep in the sea and rides upon the storm fearful saints fresh courage take the clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break blessings on your head 
His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet, sweet will be the flower. Thank you for listening. For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.